uh, I can tell you one story from Orange County Raceway. Of course, you know, Garlitz, he tried to control NHRA. And when the starter motors came into NHRA, and they weren't mandatory for a while, but I got a starter motor so I could start my car in the starting line and all these press things that I was doing, they needed a starter motor realistically. And so I got a starter motor. Well, Garlitz, he it was no way push starts were it for him. And so I get to race Garlitz, and it was early in a PDA race, I think it was at Orange County at night. And he's push starting. Well, I'm racing Garlitz in one of the early rounds. And and um, so I move up to the starting light, to the water box, you know, and then when it's, you know, Garlitz, he has to push start down and down the lane. Well, he fires his car at the last second and he comes around the corner and I got my fist like this up, up for Ron, Ronnie to uh, hold. I'll tell you, and Gar- Garlitz pulls into the water box and I'm looking straight across at him and I go, start it. <laughs> So, so I started my car, you know, 30 seconds behind him or something. And then I'm looking, I'm looking straight across at Garlitz and he doesn't want to do a burnout. And I just stick my arm out and I give him after you, you know, because and he knew I had him and, and I beat him and he was, he had a starter motor after that. <laughs> I suppose that that difference in the amount of heat in his engine versus yours made a big difference, huh? Yeah, yeah. I gave him a little Herm Peterson. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Well, <laughs> I gotta ask you now. So let's <laughs> let's move beyond the seventy-five. Se- that was funny, by the way. Let's move mm-hmm. on past the seventy-five season. So. 70 first of all in 75 if i'm reading this right you had you ran i'm trying to see here what 560 right then there's a gap i have to ask you about this you then in 81 550 82 540 83 530 but there's that gap between 75 and 1981 and i wanted to ask you about that why it was so difficult from 75 to 81 to move that extra 10th of a second. What would do was technology not advancing. Why did we hold in that one area there, the five sixties? Well, well, you know, that's an interesting uh, question because I have thought about it a lot and I, and I, I, I have an answer to it also because um, the, the 75 season between Garland's and was so competitive yeah. and, and, Garland set that mark, you know, at 563, and that record stood for all the years you're talking about here. And and um, uh, we couldn't get there. Well, um, you know, there were a few competitive cars, but as you tried to move quicker, you you, you couldn't maintain um, what we had. Um, and so we were, and, and we were looking for ways to make a better race car. Well, I, I bought another race car for, I, I, and it was a reasonable car. It was a Ron Atterbury car. Uh, it was a pretty good car, but it wasn't a better car. 
it was only equal to what we had in a long after hindsight looking at it. Yeah. Um, um, they were high center of gravity cars. Um, um, I um, found out later that I was better racing with a lower center gravity car. Um, um, if, if we move all the way to the 70, uh, 1979 season when I built, had built the Jim Hume uh, Pat Foster car, the reason I did that is because the funny cars were performing very well. Well, what did the funny car, what were they doing that the dragsters were not doing? So, you know, Pat Foster and Jim Hume, they, they built funny cars. So we built a dragster. Well, the, the dragster um, that we built was a lower center gravity car. Um, we, you know, if you saw any pictures of it, the wing was low and way behind the rear tires, like a funny car spoiler, you know, way out back. The motor was a little farther out, but down low. And we had to put a funny car oil pan on it. Uh, the front end had um, uh, spindles like a like a funny car had, not an axle car. It had spindles on the front. And, and it had a wide frame, a, I'll call it a box frame, where uh, uh, the, uh, you can have a, a higher front rail at the, up at the front area and, and square. And that allowed us to move the fuel tank way forward to get the weight, weight out of it. And, and we also preloaded the front end like a funny car. We would, you know, um, with the spindles, you know, you, you would tip, tip the left front down and load, load the chassis. Well, that car didn't prove to be better, but it was a step in the, it was a step going into the swindle car. Yeah. It, 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 if, if you look at that car, from the back of the roll cage to the front wheels, it's almost identical to a swindle car. Now, the behind the roll cage, it was a little different. But, you know, Jerry Ruthcott was very involved in the first swindle cars that were successful. Mm. You know, he, uh, you know, the Tacoma chassis builder, Al Swindle. Um, and and that, uh, Al's car be showed huge promise. Well, we, you know, we were out at Miners. That's when I went to work for Miners in 1980. Okay. And when, when we brought in the swindle car, that's when we ran the 550 and then the 540s and then the 530s. But now we also brought Bernie Federley to the team. Okay. You know, I started in 1980 and 81 with Miner. And then in the mid-season of 82, Bernie Federley we stole him from Terry Cap, you know, and broke his heart, I'm sure. Yeah. But we brought, you know, Bernie out of Canada down. And he was a, at that time, a centrifugal clutch guy. And he really could, he really straightened out our clutch program at Miners. And then the cars moved forward big time. And once we got, once we got the 50 under our belt, yeah. Man, we were on a march, yeah. you know, and, and we just were dropping the ETs every track we went. It was getting better and better, you know. Well, that that period of time, and and I've I, after I was looking at these numbers, I had thought about that, and you know, from 
75 to let's say 79 in top fuel, if I really thought about it, really wasn't a re- a remarkable period in, in the in the class. It really wasn't like the early 70s with you know the development of the of the rear engine dragster. But that period of time, 75 to 79, was kind of stagnant. It was it was very stagnant, and and we would tr- try as we might to <laughs> you know to run better. We couldn't, you know, and you know we're talking we're talking a, a, an era of uh, single fuel pump, yeah. you know, a, 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 a low um, uh, amp mag, you know, single mag. Uh, superchargers weren't tight like they were, but it, th- that stayed the same all through those years. And and we were kind of limited to that 2,500 horsepower we talk about. Yeah. And you know, you put more nitro to them, that didn't get you too far. <laughs> you burn, you know, burn a lot of pistons. And and uh, you know, uh, it, there needed to be a change in the chassis. You know, um, you know, we hadn't gone to 300 inch long cars yet. You know, and 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 we didn't have the fuel to, to use them anyway. You know, so. You know, the development was, as you say, stagnant. And but '79 and going into '80, we started to make some moves. Yeah. yeah. Did so. Another question I have for you: Did you know, Mister Traction, Steve Gibbs, was was track prep starting to get a little bit better around 1980? Was that starting to improve also? Well, certainly, certainly. And, and you know, we ran we ran at some tracks that were not the greatest either, you know, I mean, they were good for their day, you know, Baton Rouge, you know, even the one in Columbus, you know, and I got to be careful what I say about those tracks because, because I won each time at each one of them three times, you know, so (laughs) I, you know, I think twice at Baton Rouge, but three times at Columbus. So I can't dislike it too much. You know, but well, I mean, you guys that were on the match race circuit, and I, I learned this from a friend of mine here, you know, Division Five guy, Doc Holiday. Jerry Newman was the the tuner for Doc Holiday, and those guys were on the match race circuit. They knew how to get down a crappy track, and sometimes at the national events when the tracks weren't great, having that knowledge made all the difference in the oh, world. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I, you know, I. I, I can add on to that is, um, you know, as a top fuel driver, you didn't, you, you could watch top fuel to some degree, but most of the time you weren't around the starting line enough. Yeah. And I would watch funny cars and even pro stock. And um, one funny car, or two funny cars that I watched was Dale Foley and Tom McEwen. And they were, they were good at getting down the marginal tracks. And I call it the 20-foot push. I could watch their injector, and they would just go like this at the starting line, you know, and they, they'd be full throttle at 20 foot, you know. And, and I developed that myself, you know, in the dragster to try to, you know, because you, you're trying to win the race, and you weren't looking for the best ET. You know, you're not looking for track record stuff. You're trying to win a round of racing is all you're trying to do. And they were very good at it. And I watched that. Then I would watch um, uh, Bob Glidden because, again, they're running pro stock out front. And I would watch how hard he attacked the starting line, how hard his tires hit, what was the wrinkle, what, how did it slam down on the wheelie bar. I would watch his car at the, 
at the start because I, I could be there and do that, you know. Well, you watch them at numerous tracks, you kind of get a sense of all three of those guys, how they're attacking the track without even talking to them. You kind of you get it, yeah. what they're trying to do. And then what that does is gives you confidence or not in what you're thinking, <laughs> you know, and what you want to do, <laughs> you know. Well, it, you know, it, and back in that era too, I mean, not so much these days because the track prep is so meticulous, but back then, I, I remember watching many uh, races, you know, Diamond P races, the, the NHRA races where track, uh, tra uh, I'm sorry, lane choice would make a huge difference in who was, what the outcome of that race was going to be. Right. Well, I can, I can tell you one race, it was at Baton Rouge actually for Larry Minor, and it was um, uh, 1980, I believe, the first year I drove for him, and Jim Wright was crew chief. And, and um, they oiled the track right in front of us. We're in the water box. And I'm in the car, and I'm looking at the cleanup, and, you know, they're out there cleaning. And, but, uh, you know, I don't have lane choice, I guess, because we couldn't move. And, and I'm looking at it, and I, I tell Jim, I'm not going to, I'm not going through there. He says, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stage crooked and I'm going to drive around. I'm going to drive around that spot. I'm going to go towards the guardrail or I'm not going to go through there. And so I did, I aimed just to the right of that <laughs> white spot out on the track. And when I got, when I got to that white spot, I took a little bit of a left turn and went down the line, <laughs> but we went on and won that race, you know, but I just didn't want to go through that. Through the mess, you know. Okay, I you just explained something to me that I didn't realize because believe it or not, last night I was just going through race footage, and I watched that race. And you, for whatever reason, I thought you just lost it. I thought you came out of the groove. Well, well, if you're if it's the race that I went around the, yeah. the spot, I I did that on purpose. Okay, well, yeah. that now I know why you made that move that you did because it, it looked like you just lost it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so 80, you start working for Larry. My well, actually, the story is you were trying to steal his mechanic, weren't you? And ended up working for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm real good <laughs> at stealing mechanics. <laughs> uh, uh, in 1979, I was, you know, Jim Wright, I, I had known him a long time. He was, uh, uh, he worked for Keith Black. You know, he was the shop manager for a time. I spent time time with him and, and, um, and he was racing, you know, all uh, raced out at minors and I need at 79, you know, to, to kind of go along with the doldrums of the seventies, our, my team needed more brain power and more help. And so I needed a crew chief. And so I was, I was shopping and, and I talked to Jim Wright about coming my way. And we talked a bit and then he, he came to me, he came to me before Indy and he, he says, you know, you know, Gary, um, I shouldn't go your way. You should come our way. And, and so I met Miner at Indy in, in 1979. We sat in the crew cab and talked quite a bit because Larry Dixon senior was driving for him at that time. And, and, uh, we put a deal together and, um, you know, uh, um, uh, he he uh, let Larry Dixon Sr. go at the end of the year, and then I came in in 1980, and I worked for him.
you know, for seven years, really. Well, and honestly, I remember, you know, I remember the export a car. I remember the thrush car. I remember, uh, I, I remember you racing at Sen Air with the, with the thrush car, but this is the period of racing that really stands out in my mind is the Larry minor years. And what you guys accomplished was just absolutely incredible. I mean, 1980, uh, you come out and by the third race, you're already winning. That was the, that was the Cajun nationals. It was a heck of a, heck of a, a yeah. move for you. Right. No, it was, it was very good. I mean, Larry feel Larry really likes racing. You know, he was into, into sand drag or you know, off-road racing, sand drags. Um, you know, he had a, he had blown fuel hydro, you know, and he had the dragsters. I mean, it was a, quite an operation and, and I certainly enjoyed my time with him. It was, there were good and, and rough times also, but, but overall we did really well. And, you know, there was a time there because he drove, he would drive also, you know, and when we filled the two cars and, you know, there was, there was a time there where we had the two quickest top fuel cars in the country. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you know, we, we raced each other a little bit, you know, and I beat him a few times. He beat me a few times. Uh, we tried to, th as team cars, we tried to throw a couple of them. Yeah. We never accomplished it. <laughs> I, know, I remember accomplished one, it. Yeah, I remember seeing one where you were yeah. you were going for the world championship, and all of a sudden, here you and Larry are against each other, and he's going to yeah, soft pedal yeah. it, and you broke your car. He ends up yeah. winning the race. Yeah, he did. That was that was a Cajun national race. Yeah, yeah and then we we raced we raced I think in the final of Montreal, and I mean he wanted to beat me. And, and, and I needed to beat him also. And I beat him and he was so mad. He just left all his stuff in the pits and he was, but before we got back, back to the pits, you know, that's when we were hauling two cars in the trailer and he was gone. You know, he, you know, he had his own airplane, he'd fly in and out, you know, he was gone. And the rest of us crew guys, we had a monster pack up job to do. <laughs> Where did where did Larry make all his money? Where I mean, what what did he do besides racing? Well, they had a very successful farming business out in Hemet, California, with potato farming, and and he was a very interesting guy to work for, and and uh, um, you know, and we did good, you know, overall overall it was a very good program, and, and uh, he liked to win. He didn't he didn't like losing, you know. He wasn't happy when you lost, you know. So yeah. I, I remember, yeah. I remember the 80 season very, very well. And I went back and looked this all up just to make sure my memory was right about it. But if memory serves that race, that season, the championship that year came down to the last race at where was that one that year at Ontario, uh, Maldoni eventually we all know when, went on and won yeah. the championship that year, but it was, it was a heck of a season for you guys too. Well, it was, you know, I mean, I, you know, I have four second place finishes in, in the championship and, and, and two of them, uh, two of them are, are one round apart, you know, just, just one round. Yeah. And then the 20 footer with Jerry Ruth, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> one round and 20 feet, <laughs> you know, that's three championships, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I, I I was thinking about it last night and how how different the legacy would be had you come out on top in 1980 and not Shirley Muldowney. That, and I remember that race at Ontario. That was, I mean, 
that whole season to me, 1980 was when I really developed my true love of, of top fuel racing. Cause you guys were just at it all season long. Everybody was at it that year. Yeah. No, you're right. It, 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 it was, it, it was hard, you know, but you know, you, you try to run them hard. You try, um, you try to run the cars as hard as you can. And, you know, sometimes it bites you, you know, you yeah. have heart failures or what have you. you know? Well, in 81 yeah. was kind of the same deal again, too, wasn't it? That that year you were battling Jeb Allen for the championship. And that came down to actually the, what, the last round? Well, it could have. Um, Jeb was leading the championship going into the last race substantially. And, and he lost first round, which opened the door for me. But I had to win the race and have low ET and top mile an hour of the event. And I ended up winning the race and ET had the quick ET, but I did not get um, top speed. And by just a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, um, but again, uh, the championships are not, you know, to me are not won and lost in that last race. I mean, you, you know, there's other times. Now, I will say, Jeb won that championship by less than one. You know, we were getting 200 points around in, in that time frame. Yep. And he won by, you know, 16 points. Wow. So, you know, but he got, he set a factored mile per hour record at Denver that year and got 200 points for a factored record, which was the rule. Yeah. But NHRA took that rule away after that year. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, again, from, from a fan standpoint that year, that season and, and coming down to the last race like that. And I remember Steve Evans just, I mean, he was working at that, uh, at that last race with, you know, talking about you and yeah. the points chase. And it was, it was exciting as a, from a fan standpoint, I suppose the stress on you was probably through the roof. Well, you learn to manage stress, you know, uh, um, you really do. Um, um, I think uh, what I learned through 20 years of, of top field and another 10 of sportsmen is not to get too high or not to get too low out there because <laughs> Because you're not going to keep it <laughs> yeah. either way, you know. Yeah, you got to stay. You got to stay in your zone. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're one round away from being a loser, aren't you? That's that that the nature well, of racing. Right. You're either a winner or you're a loser. That's right. No, so eight, eighty-three. I mean, eighty-three. In in my mind, and I don't know how you feel about it, but eighty-three is the greatest Gary Beck season there was. I mean, you just well, certainly. It, it certainly certainly. Um, I'd have to agree also. I mean, I mean, we had a dominant performance everywhere we went. You know, uh, we qualified number one many times. And a few of them, we won the race too, you know, which, you're, which is, is good. But the performance level was really, we ran 40s, 640s everywhere we went. And, well, I, I can tell you a little bit about, about it. Um, we, we stumbled on a few things that really helped the 83 car out. And one one was Larry Miner himself with um, his off-road racing experience, because we had um, a tra a traction issues, you know, with um, 
turning the tires. And he said, well, we need wider rims. And this is before NHRA had a rim width um, rule. And so um, we had many rear rims and we were able to take a wide inner or outer and we bolted together our rims and we were an inch or inch and a half wider rim than anybody out there at the time. And we were able to keep the, t the big, t the tire flatter longer. And, and when we did that, the car jumped up. Well, that come right from Larry Miner and his off-road experience in sand drags and, and stuff. Cause that, you know, they want, had those big paddle tires on as wide a rim as they could. And Miner said, this is what we need to do. Well, of course me as, as, as crew chief and, and working on horsepower, that put me into using it to more advantage and, and um, um, using, uh, we needed more power. Well, that got us to what I call the high-low valve. And, and um, that was a manual, um, it, it looked like a high speed on the car where it was plumbed and where the car could be leaned out down towards the finish line, let's say. But it wasn't, that's not what it was. Our racers thought, our competitors thought that's what it was. But what it was, was a enrichener. It was open at the starting line and we richened up the barrel valve to get the proper air fuel at the idle. And we would lean, we would leave on the lean side and the, and the car would, you know, jump out there to 60 to 100 feet. I'd slam that fuel uh, closed. We'd close off a, about a 70 jet and the car, would, it was like hitting it with another accelerator pump and the car would jump out, it would leave and then leave again. <laughs> and that's what created the low 40s and 30s. Wow. And, and, but but you had to have it both. You had to have the traction and you had to have the fuel system. Well, then, you know, our cars were very quick, but they weren't the fastest cars out there. Well, what it was doing, it, we, it was driving through the clutch at the finish line. And we were losing some RPM to, you know, at the finish line. And um, we never developed um, uh, the centrifugal clutch to do both what we wanted at the starting line and at the finish line. Now, this is before the cannon, you know, that, you know, that they use today, then they can control every inch of the racetrack. Yeah, you know, we're trying to do it, you know, but this is before that, you know, the cannon was ever brought out. And, and so, so we, you know, you know, we, we didn't quite have a 1320 car. We, you know, we had, you know, 1300 or something, 1290, yeah. you know, yeah. but it would, it would actually smoke the clutch in the finish line. Yeah. yeah. So Larry Miner, um, you, you guys have Bernie Federley on board at this point and, um, Larry Miner, what mechanically, I guess, I, I don't know the answer to this. How mechanically inclined was, was Larry Miner extremely good when it came to mechanics like that? Or was, was Bernie Federley really, really leading the charge here on all this? Well, um, no, we brought Bernie in, you know, and um, I mean, he was a huge addition to the team. 
you know, because we had, you know, we had Ed McCullough run with the funny car at that yeah. time too. Yeah. And, and so now we had Ed and myself and we added Bernie in there. And then we had, you know, our rest of our crew, Bill Walter and, and um, Ed had initially Dan Olson. So those were kind of the, the, the key paid people. There was Terry Caldwell was there was kind of a Larry, Larry minor guy. Then we had what we call the free help, you know, that came in on the weekends, you know, Henry Walter, John Cox on my car, you know, and then over on Ed's, he had, he had uh, a few also, you know, that came in and eventually a funny car had to have a little larger crew, but we had, I mean, those are the, the, you know, the nucleus of trying to make, you know, cars run. We, We were pretty solid, you know, and everybody had their own, their own uh, expertise. I was more into the fuel systems and worked worked um, on on the fuel systems of both cars initially. I mean, Ed tuned his own car. I didn't have nothing to do with tuning his car, but I would. I you know he certainly knew what I was doing with my car, and some of some of it worked over there, and some of it didn't. You know, and then and then um, Bernie was you know, really brought clutch knowledge to us and helped help that. I mean, in that part of it. And then, and then with Bill Walter and I, which were the two main um, on our car, he, he became, you know, very good with clutches on my car, but, you know, but Bernie was the, was the catalyst of how they should be set up. Yeah. yeah. Did, and did, did Bernie, was he over with Ed McCulloch's deal too, or was he just mainly? He, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Initially he was kind of both cars. Okay. Then he kind of, then they, uh, Larry had him focus more on, on the funny car, but we were still worked together, you know, but he was, he was mostly over there and that, that put, you know, a little more of the crew chief area in my, my belly wick with him, you know, so. So I, but minor minor would discuss fuel systems and clutches too, you know. Yeah. You know, if he disagreed with us, he'd sneak down there at night and make a change in the middle of the night, you know, <laughs> get the cars at home. He wouldn't tell us till we started them and we'd look at each other. Oh, Larry, we've been Larried. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I guess that's the advantage of being the team owner. I mean, it, well, yeah, well, he was the owner. <laughs> How crazy was it during that period of time? I mean, he—you got three cars out on the road. It—it it just had to be a crazy time. A lot of stuff going on. Well, there's a lot. I called Larry uh, uh, at 7 p.m. California time from wherever we were every night to go over things, you know. And this is before cell phones. Yeah. He finally put a mobile phone. He put a. a uh, some kind of a mobile phone in the trailer, but it, it works sometimes. So half the time we stop at a rest stop somewhere and I'm on a pay phone calling Larry at 7 p.m. from from the East Coast, you know, it's 10 <laughs> o'clock back there, you know. <laughs> well, and you know, I had somebody bring this up. Actually, it was Larry Brown that brought this up. He goes, you know, that was back in an era where cell phones didn't exist. And, and he said, you never, you know, your buddies that you had at the racetrack, all the friends that you were out racing with, it made it so much more special to get together with these guys when, you know, when you showed up at the racetrack, cause you weren't in constant yeah. communication with them. Yeah, that's right. No, no, that's right. But you know, we had a good team, but I mean, Larry's deal was pretty solid. I mean, you know, the number of wallies I won with them, I, I forget the exact count, but it's, it's, 
it's somewhere around 10 or maybe 11 or something like that. Um, but he, he himself won a couple of wallies. Yeah. And, and then his wall, the last I heard, it was like 45 wallies or something like that. And he wasn't through racing yet, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you know, after me came Dick LaHaye, they won a championship and then Muldowney was out there and she won some races. Yeah. And then Cruz was out there. He won a championship, and and Ed won one. You know, I mean, he's, I mean, um, Larry Miner's wall is <laughs> it's it's full. <laughs> well, let's let's. I've got it right here. I'm, that's what I'm looking at. And in '83, for you, was your third U.S. national win. You broke the five-three barrier. Uh, Seventeen out of eighteen quickest runs. Uh, that season. So what, wow, what a spectacular season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was good. So, okay. 83 was, was probably the pinnacle of it all for you at 84, 85 and 86 things sort of dropped off. What, what, what was the reason for the drop off after there was, was your interest waning? Was, were things not working the way they needed to? Well, um, I think what happens, you know, from 83, you know, you, you're always looking for more. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, in 84, we ran reasonably well, but then in 85, we're looking for more and we're, and that, you know, the other cars have certainly caught up or surpassed you. Yeah. And you're, you're looking, you're looking for more and, and you're not getting it, you know, and, and that puts a little strain on the team too. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, you know, so things, you know, were going downhill and, and, um, you know, and then it just, you know, it came to an end. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and I, you know, it, I'm looking at the years here that, that you raced and you're, I mean, there, a lot of guys don't get to spend as many years as you did, uh, at the top of the sport, which is really what it was from 72 on for you till the end of your racing career for your professional, you know, you're being on the NHRA circuit in 86. It's a lot of years on top, man. Well, it is. Thank you. Um, you know, you know, uh, looking at, at my career, you know, today, and I have for the last numerous years, I mean, really had a lot of fun and yeah, it was tough sometimes and, and hard and, you know, in the early years, you had to figure out how to finance it. And, and, and in the later years, when you had a high performing car, you had to keep it a high performing car and move forward. That wasn't easy either, you know, but it was a lot of fun being out there and being competitive. Knowing you, you went to a racetrack and you had a, had a, a good chance of winning the race, you know, and, and if you could, if you could execute, you know, um, um, with the performance side of the car and, and drive it reasonably well, you know, you, you had a good shot of winning a darn good race. And, and that was, a you know, what it was all about, really, you know, so it was so all good. It, but, I mean, uh, even on top of that, th this period of racing, you know, especially through the 70s and into the 80s, it you guys were – even though you were competitors, there were a lot of friends out there too. You know that what I found out about this group of guys is that it now in, in your later years uh, that you've been away from racing for a long time, when you guys come back together, like at the hot rod reunion or at nitro revival, it's, it, 
it, it impresses the heck out of me because you guys are like a big family. It's like watching a family reunion happen. It's so neat to watch. Well, it is, it is, you know, um, you know, you get to talk some old stories, you know, and I seldom lose a race because I don't remember the lose all the losses. You know? <laughs> I only remember the wins, you know, but I can, I mean, I can, I can talk like this and, you know, if you want to talk Don Garlitz, I can go all night. If you want to talk Shirley Muldowney, I can do all night with that one too. You know, I mean, the, the, the more stories I tell, my memory kicks in and I, I can bring more and more up, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, and it's a, it's a lot of fun, you know, I mean, and, you know, um, I, you know, I have, I have made, um, right around 2000 runs in a top fuel car wow. over 20 some years, you know, and that's a lot of runs. Yeah. And, I, and let me just tell you one quick story here because I was at the hot rod reunion, um, uh, just this past weekend watching us up in the grandstands last row in the grandstands watching and an elderly couple comes walking up uh, my age. I'm going to call them el elderly. They're my age. And they had the brand new T-shirts on Valley Thunder. And I, I knew Valley Thunder is a nostalgia top fuel car. I, I saw it in the pits. I don't know, didn't know, didn't know the people there at all. But they're, you know, and they, she, they sit down right alongside of me, and 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 I start I start talking to her, and you know, and said, well, I see this brand new shirt, and. And I said, uh, are you connected with that car? And he says, yeah, our, our grandson drives it. Drives it. And uh, this is our first drag race. Oh. Well, I mean, I don't know how many thousands of races I've been at for crying out loud or grandsons I've sat in. They're at their first drag strip, and they're my age now. And they were nervous as could be, you know, of, of – their grandson driving, you know, and yeah. so I, I kind of, I said, well, and there had been an accident prior, just prior to them coming up, you know, I think it was a pro mod. And, and did you see that? You know, they were, yeah, he walked to the ambulance, you know, and stuff, you know, but once I found out their grandson was driving, I kind of changed my tune. I said, well, you know, you, you, um, the sport is, is, you know, it can it can be have have some certainly dangers. You have to have a lot of respect for these cars, but it's you know it's um, uh, um, it is one of the safest automobile racing sports, and and you got you know you got to pay attention to the safety equipment just as much as making the car go quick. You got to stop, you know. But it was an interesting conversation with brand new drag drag racing fans you know <laughs> it was it was something you know? i i do everything i can you know i have so many friends of mine that that have never been to a drag race and every chance i get i try to take them either down to joliet to the route 66 nationals or something just to introduce them to it and i tell you what it only it only takes that one time doesn't it and that well, one it. time and you're hooked you're done well that's it i something hooked me I mean, I'm, I'm a construction guy. I'm a bricklayer for kind of loud, you know, and, you know, but the Emperor's Car Club, you know, and the first drag, you know, went to the drags in the Northwest, but the first out of the state drag, I went to Gaines Mark and I went to the second March meet, you know, I, I think it's going to be 1960. 
um, you know, as spectators, you know, and then we went to the third as, you know, same thing as spectators. And that was it. We were hooked. <laughs> you know. Speaking of gains, you know, he went on uh, to have a, a, a top fuel career. And I, I don't, I don't recall gains that much, but what I do remember about gains is that uh, he came in and runner up to Marvin Graham in 1974 when he, when Marvin won the, the U S nationals came out of nowhere to Correct. win. How, yeah. what, what, how much of a career did I did gains have after you two separated? Well, he, you know, he won the world championship with Rob Bowen's driving, you know, I think that was 79 if I remember right. Um, but he, he would, Gaines was a very good race car driver and, and, um, he was a mechanic, you know, his dad had an automobile, automobile, repair shop and Gaines worked there that he worked as a line mechanic in a dealership. He was a mechanic. So he taught me, you know, I'm the bricklayer. The, you know, you want a barbecue, I'll be right over, you know, but, <laughs> but um, you know, he was, he taught me, but you know, I'm a race car mechanic, not a, not a line mechanic at all. And, and, but he, he was very good. And, and I tell the story, you know, Gaines and I met, matter we went from first grade all the way through 12th 12th grade together and then became race car partners and and then and then um we were competitors in top fuel but i always tell people um that Gaines and i were talking in grade school maybe third fourth grade we were talking you know you and i ought to get in the top fuel maybe we can each win a top fuel championship someday you know but of course, that's I'm joking. But yeah, you know, we go back a long, long ways. You know, he's a great friend. You know, we had you know through all through school together. You know, we skipped school together, got paddled. We you know back in that day, you could paddle people. We got it. We got it. You know. <laughs> um,